Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hi, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, it's officially the Christmas time. Season of Yeah. There in Lights and Holidays. Yeah. Candy canes and Gingerbread. Snowmen. And regular men. Reindeer. Women. Non gendered people. Exactly. Folks. Yeah. Um, it's everybody. It's, oh, it's sure. can- if you're a McElroy fan, it's candle nights. Ooh. No. Is that is that like um Saint Lucia Day? Um no, it's just like the, it's a pan denominational oh. um, non specific and holiday based winter festival of delightfulness. Nice. So, yeah, it's a catch all. Right on. And it's now. We're in candle nights. It's a state of mind. Oh, candle Candle nights can happen at any point. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? So on Crossover Appeal, we take two um, narrative forms of storytelling, Mm -hmm. book, movie, TV show, web series, whatever you got. If you're telling a story, we want it. Um, I like you put a little spin on it this time. I like narrative yeah. form of storytelling. Yeah, you know, yeah. then we'll find a good way to say it. Yeah, we're zeroing point. in on it. Um, but yeah, we, we cross them over and see where the themes happen, see where the stories happen. Where the friends are, yeah. where the enemies, where the, the kisses. kisses. Yeah. <laughs> Most importantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, But Annie, if it's the holiday season and, you know, I feel like it would be appropriate to talk about something Christmas themed, especially yeah. since we're sitting next to a Christmas tree. But last year we are already talked about the two most definitive Christmassy oh, Christmas things yeah. in existence. Like always either number one or number two. Yeah. Both of them. Um, last year we did It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So, so how where do we, we go that? from there? Just just far away. Yeah. Yeah. As far away as possible. I would say to the farthest possible edge of the spectrum of things that people refer to as Christmas movies. I don't know. I, I Well, I think we can get farther. Yeah, that's true. So these are still can still be referred to as Christmas movies, Mm -hmm. but are they? We'll investigate on this, a very special episode of Crossover Appeal. Um, Eddie, what are we talking about today? Tonight, what are we investigating? Tonight, we are investigating um, <laughs> While You Were Sleeping and Die Hard. Man, you know, it's two movie titles that when you put them together almost sound like they have a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> They're not quite there, no. but the implications are dark no matter yeah, what. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this way, it's like, wow, this is like um, a thriller series. Yeah, essentially. On the Hallmark Channel, though, still. Yeah. Because, of course. Uh, but why don't you tell us about While You Were Sleeping? So, While You Were Sleeping is a 1995 romantic comedy starring Sandra Bullock, Bill Pullman, and Peter Gallagher. Peter it's and Peter Gallagher's so, eyebrows. Well, they, they certainly did have their own billing. That is true. But this is, yeah, a super 90s romantic comedy cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by John 
Turtle Top. Oh yeah, that's a, is that enough? I'm saying his name right. I believe so. Okay, um, and he also directed Cool Runnings. Huzzah! So yay, um, and some other less impressive stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to match the standard of Cool Runnings, I, but like legit. Let's not bash it's Cool a Runnings. Film. This is an amazing film. And he has Turtle in his name. He'll always be our friend. Cool Runnings. Like I'm going to do Cool Runnings at some point because that is oh, yeah. a great movie. It'll pop up. Um, so thank you, Peter Turtle or John Turtletop. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, Peter Gallagher. <laughs> they formed together. It's <laughs> like a transformer. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's actually really disconcerting because it's very fleshy. Oh wow! Yeah. But just with big eyebrows. Exactly. <laughs> um, so while you were sleeping, received largely positive reviews and was a huge financial hit. Like the movie um, grossed over $182 million worldwide on an estimated $17 million budget. Man, so it did okay. It did real okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the story follows Chicago Transit Authority staff member Lucy, Lucy Moderatz, whose job has a job manning the token booth at one of the L stops. Um, and this movie is so 90s, people use tokens to ride on public transportation. Well, you didn't give me a chance to shout, how 90s is it, before you, you, you finished. Um, it's okay. You'll get yeah. it next time. <laughs> we'll just <laughs> I'll just wait for those moments. Yeah, it'll be great. Um, it's it's so nineties that it tells you to talk to the hand because it these ain't listening. It is, it is exactly that nineties. <laughs> you know how I know you're nineties <laughs> because zigga zigga. <laughs> because you know what you want. Yeah. Um. So Lucy's father has recently passed away, and although he encouraged her love of travel, she largely lives alone in Chicago and just kind of works at her job. Um, So it's a a lonely life for Lucy. Mm -hmm. Lucy has a crush on a guy that she sees um, who gets on at her stop every day on the L, um, but he, like, doesn't know she exists. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas, when Lucy's working because everybody else is with their families, um, Lucy sees Peter get harassed on the L platform and knocked off the platform onto the tracks and um, is rendered unconscious. Yeah. Actually, I'm glad you used to harass because I was thinking, my first response was like, no, he gets mugged, but they don't actually take no, anything. No, they don't. I think it might have been the kind of thing where it's like, maybe they were going to mug him. Oh, and then he just, he but, beat well, them no, to the punch by jumping he, off he, the He like edge. pulled away and ah. like, then they were like, oh my God, we got to get out of here. Yeah. But I think even, the, even then it was much more harassing. Yeah. I think they were probably just like, trying to pick a fight. Yeah, trying to pick a fight. Real obnoxious people. Yeah, because he definitely still has his wallet on him because that's when we find out later on that he has pictures of himself in his wallet. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I forgot about that part. Um, so um, Peter's still unconscious on the L tracks. <laughs> Lucy jumps down on the tracks to pull Peter out of the way, narrowly missing an incoming express train. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucy goes with Peter to the hospital where she's mistakenly identified as, as his fiancée. Peter's distraught family rushes in and immediately, like, clamps onto Lucy for the bright light her fake story provides. (laughs) So they're like, oh, my God, Peter's in a coma. He's had this accident. This is so awful. He's such a sad, lonely boy. He's such a sad, lonely boy. But, oh, my God, he he actually, he's engaged. And the woman who saved him, um, who's going to marry him, saved his life. Yeah. That's so amazing. And she's Sandra Bullock. And and look at her. She's so cute. Yeah, with weird bangs. She's she's way better than our son, Peter. Yeah, exactly. Like, we'll take you. (laughs) Um, so Lucy doesn't want to break the bad news to them that she would never she had never actually spoken to Peter before so she pretends to be his fiance while he's in a coma (laughs) the movie goes to like great pains to make sure that for at least the first third of this movie she never outright lies yeah she just just 
keeps very very quiet on things yeah and his and peter's family is like so loud and talky and kind Mm -hmm. of pushy that like she doesn't really need to say a lot exactly um and there's also reference to the grandmother's real bad heart problems so she's like Mm. oh my god this grandmother's already like dealing with her grandson being in a coma they don't know how he's gonna do and now i'm gonna tell her that actually this happy story you like it's wrong yeah i'm a liar like it really sort of artfully manages to keep it that she doesn't lie until she's over the point of no return already yeah and then she starts lying out the wazoo yeah right because that's what you do Mm -hmm. um when you're trying to not send grandma into a heart attack you're in a cute romantic comedy exactly um so over the next few days peter's family welcomes lucy into their lives um lucy finds that she loves being around the warm and wacky callahans and finds that she especially connects with peter's brother jack uh, Jack and Lucy are falling for each other, but no, they cannot be together because Peter is Lucy's fake fiance in a coma. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Just so you know, like one of those normal couple problems. Uh, you know, everybody has that rocky beginning of their exactly. relationship. I remember hearing some uh, like romantic comedy theory that like, you know, um, like like Christian comedy is like outside sources keeping the people apart and mm-hmm. like Jewish comedy is like the people themselves. People's own neuroses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like like this is very much like, oh yeah, this is like real Christian comedy. And then I think of like when Harry met Sally, I'm like, oh, that's like classic like Jewish, Jewish romantic comedy. comedy. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I love both of those forms where yeah. it's like either wacky circumstances or your own personal neuroses. Yeah. It's uh, it's very like mm-hmm. Greek versus American tragic structures too. It's that or oh. versus European. Uh, David Simon has a whole isn't thing about cr- it with Isn't the Greek um, European? They're in Europe. No, I mean, they're they're Greek, like ancient Greek. Ancient Greek versus... versus... modern English. Essentially Shakespeare versus the Greek playwrights. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. David Simon's whole point is that the Greek mm-hmm. playwrights are all about good people being beaten by the system, and Shakespeare is all about uh, pe- flawed people beating themselves. And hmm. so The Wire is a show that is specifically not Shakespearean, but most tragedy, especially oh. in modern American drama, is Shakespearean. Interesting. Yeah. This has oh. been your David Simon sidebar for yeah. our holiday special. <laughs> Whoever thought we would connect while you were sleeping with The Wire. Yeah. You know, life finds a way. Yeah, right. And there's Jurassic Park. Oh, we're doing totally. it all tonight, folks. Yay. <laughs> um, so after some hijinks involving getting furniture to Peter's apartment, a rumor involving pregnancy, um, Peter's mean ex-girlfriend, and an extended scene involving testicles, oh, yeah. Peter wakes up from his coma and finds that, of course, he can't remember Lucy. But everyone else believes that it's because he has amnesia. They, they jump to the most obvious possible conclusion. Oh, yeah. And it, part of me feels bad for Peter at this point because everyone's like, oh, my God, you have amnesia. You can't remember Lucy. And he's like, I, I guess I can't. Wow, I feel real yeah. bad. He's being like like ga- like anti-gaslit. They're yeah. not telling him something's not happening. They are, they're incepting him. They're incepting Peter. Yeah, well, but they've also been incepted. That's true. <laughs> I have a, you know... I have a theory just now about this movie that I feel like this movie seems to be, it's populated almost entirely by characters whose only source of knowledge for any human history or behavior is romantic comedies. <laughs> yep. Like everybody's jumping to the most broad, romantic, possibly big conclusions. Yeah. And it kind of works. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. This is a world in which romantic comedies exist. Exactly. And like exist, exist. Oh, Yeah. Um, so Lucy is determined to tell the Callahans the truth, but Peter feels that he's been given a new lease on life and might as well try to make it work with Lucy. We also find out that he's not that great. No, Peter, like Peter admits that he's like actually a, kind of a douchebag. Mm-hmm. There's squirrels involved. It's dark. Yeah. 
Um, so Peter proposed, but Lucy's going to change all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Peter proposes to Lucy for real, and they almost go through the, with the wedding before Lucy confesses to everything. Um, she leaves the Callahans in the hospital and goes back to her lonely life. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. Or, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Seasonally appropriate. Um, until she's at work one day and Jack, plus his whole family, comes by to propose to her for real. So Lucy marries Jack and no one cares that she pretended to be Peter's fiance because it's Sandra Bullock at her peak rom-com cuteness. And they hadn't like been hanging out with Peter much anyway. No. So it, they yeah, don't they were like, really well, care we, what he feels. Yeah, right. And also like... This, I, I like looking back at the movie, I'm really glad that they, they really say like this happens over the course of like maybe a week. Yeah, it's a very compressed It's time not time. like Lucy was lying to them for two years. It's not like the stepdad. Uh, the stepdad? Yeah, the stepfather. It's um whatever the movie, from, Terry O'Quinn from Lost plays a serial killer who oh, marry, wow. marries families and then when he determines that they are not the perfect family he's always wanted, he slaughters them and moves on to the next Wow. One. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy is not that guy, no. but she could have been. She could have been. That, this, could, this, that could have taken a real dark turn. Yeah, there's a very different take on this film that is not f- <laughs> too different from the movie that we watch, but has a very, very dark ending. It's just like one <laughs> one small change mm-hmm. and suddenly. Just twist one little knob. Yeah, sorry, Callahan's. <laughs> uh, so the characters in this movie, uh-huh. um, who are not terrifying, are Sandra Bullock as Lucy Moderatz, a sad CTA employee looking for love and a big family. Bill Pullman as Jack Callahan, furniture maker and earthy good guy. Um, I feel like we've there like guys who make furniture are like uh, like a um, a trope in romantic. It's the perfect things. blend of artsy and practical. Yeah, it's like you it's are like an artist, yeah. but you, you make, have a, a physical manifestation of your work. It's like a manly be, thing. Yeah, yeah. There's Even no... though, like, women make furniture, too. Exactly. Like... But it's seen as... And he wears, like, jean jackets and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and plaid. Yeah, exactly. Um, although, he wears jean jackets in Chicago in January. I'm like, you should yeah, have a puffy jacket. he does jacket. not dress seasonally appropriate. Although, you also had a very good time when we watched this. Because we watched both of these films over the last couple yeah. of weeks to get the seasonally appropriate. Um, Which we had seen before, but... Yeah. You, uh, mm-hmm. you had a very good time pointing out all of the greenery that is present oh, in yeah. Chicago in the middle of December in yeah. this film. Oh, exactly. I was like, those are green trees. Nope. Nope. Those yeah. They would have no leaves on them. Yeah. You can tell the scenes that they sort of just stopped caring a little bit. Yeah, exactly. They were like, whatever. It's Chicago. But like, they have some really nice Chicago landscape shots. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, it's, it's yeah. very much a, a movie about the city. Yeah, it is very grounded in Chicago. Yeah, except for they filmed it in like July. Yeah, they maybe don't get the weather quite as much. Um, so we have Peter as uh, Peter Gallagher as Peter Gall- Callahan, a rich, successful lawyer and kind of a douchey guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Boyle as Ox Callahan, the Callahan patriarch and gruff dad of the Chicago suburbs. Hashtag gruff dad. Yeah. Peter, it was so great to see Peter Boyle. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I forgot you're in this. What a delight. Delightful. There's Nicole Mercutio as Midge Callahan, the Callahan matriarch, and about as momish as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Mary, Jack and Peter's little sister, <laughs> who is really doing her best to just get the most out of every scene she's in. Yeah, there is like there is a whole meta movie where you watch this film and just watch every scene that this actress or every shot that she is in and watch her put 300% effort into every scene she's because like, this is going to be her breakdown. Yeah, right? She's like, man, I'm really, I'm being cast in this big movie with big professional people. Yeah. People are going to notice me. I'm going to own I'm going to be a big deal. Yeah. And you know what? We noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like, it reminded me of Steve McQueen and um, 
the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yeah. And who's just like he's moving in every shot he's in because he wanted to take the attention away from like Yul Brenner. Yeah. And like this is what this kid is doing. She is in from the Steve McQueen she, school of acting. She's straight McQueen in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's um Elsie, adorable Callahan grandma with a major heart condition. Saul, a close family friend who finds out that Lucy's been lying and encourages her not to tell the truth to avoid hurting the Callahans. Yeah, he goes from sort of like cherubic and quirky and like nice or not uh, to like very ineffectual by the end of the movie. Oh yeah, but it's I yeah. don't know I I can see that as yeah. like I, but he's he's also cherubic and you know warm and cozy and oh, yeah he's and, delightful yeah I don't think he ever loses that that sense of warmth no but it starts to feel a little more pathological by the end of really? it. really I think yeah. it, he's just like I don't even know how to deal with this yeah he's like I don't even want to because if it, it would be like someone saying like hey I'm in this situation and you're like oh but you just have to tell them the truth yeah, but then he tells her he's gonna take care of it yeah but then he's like how do I say that yeah like literally it would be like oh no I can say it for you but then you walk in the room and you're like how am I gonna break this to these people true so I, you know, it's all he's, and again, he's a good family friend. He's had a hard week too. It's, it's true. Everybody's had a, had a rough. Time. Everybody's had a rough time. Um, there's Joe Fusco Jr., Lucy's super douchey, but ultimately maybe not so bad neighbor. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a very '90s feeling. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very uh, Andrew Dice Clay style, like. Hey, yeah. I'm a guy. I'm a yeah. guy who likes girls. I'm, I'm gonna look at your look at your underwear drawer. It's yeah. it's adorable. No, but it's hilarious because yeah. I'm non-threatening mostly. I'm totally harmless, but also I have a key to your apartment. Anyway, see you later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another way this movie goes real dark. Yeah. Um, and there's Jerry, Lucy's boss, whom she tells everything. Um, but he like he must be thinking this is some major white nonsense. Oh yeah. I yeah. love that Jerry's just like, how is this still going right. on? How am I the person that you're coming to with all of this? <laughs> Yeah, and also, I can't believe that you're still doing this. Seriously. It's like I'm both, like, I don't want to hear it, but I also want to hear it. Yeah. Some themes from the movie. Um, like, the big one is really just family is important, even if they're not the family you're born into. Um, so Lucy's got a crush on Peter, um, but what she really falls in love with is the whole Callahan vibe. Yeah, they've got it going on. Yeah. Um, and after losing both of her parents, um, she she wants to feel like she belongs and that people care about her. And the Callahans provide that kind of support mm-hmm. um so also um family is is messy but that's okay like the callahans aren't ideal they argue a lot they're loud they all move on mass some of them act harder than others yeah right <laughs> <Dark> schmacting <laughs> yep um but like background schmacting yeah background schmacting um but they stick with each other when things are bad um even peter who wasn't in real contact with his family before the accident presumably because he was too busy being a rich jerk um ends up realizing that they're the people who are here for him um and and also speaking of peter uh stay away from the edge of the platform yeah that's a bit that's a big theme yeah i almost got hit by a commuter trail oh geez train once uh yeah i i was like standing on the l uh, no i was in it was the commuter rail here in boston oh wow yeah when we were living in west newton i was standing on the platform and i had my headphones in and i was um i leaned out to see if the train was coming Mm -hmm. towards us and then i was just like and there was nothing for like you know all the way down you can see Mm -hmm. for miles and i just sort of turned around and i was listening to my music and then i saw the people like over a little bit farther away like waving me over and i like stepped over to talk to them (gasps) and a train going express the other direction just like (gasps) shot past oh my god so yeah i don't do that anymore no um so yeah were they trying to kill you 
No, no, they were trying to get me away from the, because oh. I was standing on the yellow line. Oh, so they were trying to push you back? They were trying to summon me to them so that I would not, I would step away from the rail. Oh, weird. And further onto the platform. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Man, I'm real glad that you did not get hit by that train. Me too. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I do, don't pull a Gallagher. Yeah, right. What, whether there's watermelons involved or eyebrows oh. or, you know, Gallagher. The oh, okay, yeah. Guy. Is he still a thing? Uh, yeah, he's a super duper uh, mega conservative conspiracy theorist. Ew. Right? Yeah. Yeah, don't be him. No, he's not going gracefully. Uh, but hey, but Peter, this movie. <laughs> yeah, and like um, Peter Gallagher's eyebrows are great, actually. They're very so, really great. They're what? incredibly well manicured. Yeah, like if you are going to go that way, go go Gallagher. Go full Gallagher. Go back Gallagher. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just you've got to be really clear on which Gallagher yeah, you're going. <laughs> exactly. Um, so some things I like and think other people will like what? There's a gala go and a gala stop. <laughs> we'll leave it to you to figure out which one's which. And the eyebrows are the go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so things I like and think other people will like. Um, this is a classic 1990s romantic comedy. Um, it's got some real cute leads, including Sandra Bullock and her breakout romantic comedy role, which she nails. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also got a great balance of charm and light, wacky antics. Um, even though the setup is a little weird, like, coma, fake fiance, oh my god. Um, it's a romantic comedy with a lot of charm and warmth and heart. It's very invested in the characters, and you just kind of want to spend time with all these people. Yeah, it's interesting, especially compared to, like, later career Sandra Bullock romantic comedy movies, where, like, her motivations in this one are so grounded. Yeah. Like, I'm very sad. My dad died a year ago. Yeah, and, and I like... love that it's, like, there's a whole scene of her being, like, he got he got cancer. He wasn't doing well. We moved to Chicago to go mm-hmm. to like an experimental program, and that didn't work either. And I've just been alone for the last few years. Exactly. Oh, and it's like I had to drop out of school, and I got a job at the CTA. Right, like they even like ground the quirky job. Yeah, and, it, and but that's the thing. it's not even like a cute quirky job. It's no. not like I work in an adorable bakery, mm-hmm. and I still kind of have an apartment. It's like she she's like I work for the CTA. It's a completely normal job. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's like really it's. Fascinating to see like a romantic comedy that really takes its characters as seriously as it does, despite having a premise that's yeah. very wacky. And yeah, open. yeah, it's really just the premise itself is wacky. Everything else is real grounded, which mm-hmm. is nice. Um, also, Bill Pullman and Peter Gallagher have a surprising amount of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like of all the people in this movie, I felt like their chemistry was the greatest. Yeah, um, and they like they're like a little snippy with each other, but it's fantastic. Yeah, they very have a lot of affection for one another. They do, and I honestly would love to see them star in a movie where they're a married couple. I'd watch that. Yeah, right. Like, bring it Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Give and me the, this movie, and then they stop aliens from taking over the Earth with their eyebrows. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's their eyebrows independence day. Exactly. Um, so yeah, would would you like to tell us about the eyebrows of <laughs> Die Hard? It's true. I mean, Alan Rickman has some, some He d- nice has brows. some really good bra- eyebrows. Yeah, it, they're, of a diff- they're a different genre than Peter Gallagher's. Yes. A little less caterpillar. Yes. Uh, a little but, more but he, slick he European. Wore them, yeah, but he wore them well. He really did. Uh, but hey, let's talk about Die Hard. Oh. Um, Die Hard is a 1988 action-adventure film directed by John McTiernan, and it is the, I believe, absolute number one film that the internet likes to remind everyone is set at Christmas. Yeah, right. Like, everybody on the internet loves to talk about Die Hard being like, a Christmas movie. Hashtag is my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, because... and like, they're not wrong, because think... it is, but it's become the the ironic Christmas movie of choice, I guess, yes. um, if you're on the internet. And, well, and it's all, I think by this point, it's, it's swung to, like, pumpkin spice latte status mm-hmm. of, like, 
if you're insisting that it's your favorite Christmas movie, it's like, uh-huh, we get it. You're real cool. You're too cool right. for Christmas movies. Exactly. Um, no one is too cool for Christmas movies. True. Um, but you can still like Die Hard. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of people did. It was a massive commercial success. It made Bruce Willis into a sort of surprise and overnight action movie heavyweight. Um, it launched a big honking franchise of continually diminishing, diminishing expectations. Uh, and most importantly, it introduced American audiences to the majesty of Alan Rickman. So basically, I can thank Alan Rick- or um, Die Hard for Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's so fantastic. He's amazing. I'm like, oh. And he's so fantastic in this movie. It was like this and then Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. It was the one-two punch of people being like, oh, this guy's awesome. Yeah, right? And he's he's just having so much fun as the villain in both Mm. movies. Yeah. Um, It is based on a book called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Did not see that one coming. I know. And Roderick Thorpe's name is infinitely less generic and more interesting than the titles of both his book and the movie we are talking about right now. (laughs) I've always hated the movie title Die Hard. Because it doesn't really mean anything. Exactly. Nor does Nothing Lasts Forever. Like, oh no, that's true. Especially, like, if I'm thinking about the movie and, like, its characters, its themes, I would not be thinking we need to, like... Bruce Willis's character isn't like, you know, I need to go out in a bang. Well, and the title hasn't even really decided whether it is it descriptive, is it an imperative, is it uh, like a superhero name? Like it's it's Mr. got a lot. Die Hard. It raises a lot of questions, um, far more than it answers. Yeah. But luckily, it delivers on literally every other facet of filming. Um, Bruce Willis plays John McClane, a New York City cop whose wife Holly has gotten a big time important job for a multinational corporation that is centered in Los Angeles. Um, John has stayed in New York while. Holly moved to LA with the kids and it's put some understandable strain on their yeah, relationship. Well, you know, it's a bi-coastal relationship. That yeah. is hard. And and like he hasn't seen them in a long time, but largely because he has sort of like stubbornly refused to move out with her and sort of... Uh, like there isn't crime in LA. Yeah, Like, dude, not. It's not like she's like, I want to move to like small town Iowa and yeah. he's like, what am I going to do there? No, he's just being pretty stubborn and obstinate, which is a character trait of his. Um, the movie opens with John on a plane uh, going to visit visit Holly and the kids on Christmas Eve for the first time that since she has moved out. Um, and because Holly is super fancy and important, he's picked up at the airport by a limo sent by the company and whisked directly away to their corporate headquarters, the state-of-the-art Nakatomi Plaza, a building where everything is controlled by computers and absolutely nothing could possibly go wrong. Totally. Um, the Nakatomi Company's Christmas party is in full swing when John arrives at the tower, and he and Holly celebrate his arrival by having a big fight in her office while he changes out of his traveling clothes. But you know what? That feels actually like the most Christmassy thing to me. Oh yeah, where it's, it's, a, like... it's a super legit scene. Yeah, it even starts with them like being nice to and like, oh, it's lovely to see you again. Yeah. and then it like I feel like it's a very naturalistically written scene in the way that it slides into this really it's acrimonious. Like where, yeah, like we're a couple having a real bad time. We're yeah. both like very mad at each other right we're trying to like do this nice thing over the holidays for the kids but everything is gonna like fall apart exactly uh largely because john just kind of blows it he can't apologize for anything and he's uh, he's gonna learn a valuable emotional lesson he is um to de-stress after the fight he follows the advice of a guy who he met on the plane uh and is never seen again outside of the opening scene to take off his shoes and make knuckles on the carpet with his toes um no one has ever actually recommended that anyone do this to de-stress but it's important because it means that john is barefoot and vulnerable when a crack team of international terrorists storm the building and take everyone at the party hostage their leader hans gruber uh, played by alan rickman 
says that they are there to demand the freeing of various terrorist cell members across the world. However, we soon learned that they're actually there to rob the place blind using the politics of the situation as a cover. Um, I don't know. There's a metaphor in there somewhere. Yeah, right. Hashtag 2017. Hi-oh. John manages to uh, evade the initial onslaught, but now he needs to find a way to summon help to the building and foil the robbery, despite being, again, barefoot and clad only in pants and a tank top. Um, What ensues is a really deeply sort of satisfying resource management detective game, uh, where John gradually picks off the terrorists one by one while trying to gain what information he can and also not die. He spends a massive amount of the movie trying not to do anything but like get the police to show up yeah which is great like I love that he's like putting the call out he's way he's like I'm really looking forward to when the like the troops come in yeah he's like I don't want to do this um luckily he is aided by the arrival of Reginald Val Johnson uh playing TV's favorite cop yeah playing and and movie's favorite cop as cop Al Powell um a beat cop who responds to John's initial calls for assistance and winds up communicating with him as the siege continues um Powell remains just about the only person outside of the building who's actually on John's side because the local police and eventually the FBI all show up and completely bungle the operation and sort of Mm -hmm. get manipulated by Alan Rickman's team of super criminals. I mean, but listen to Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. Like, he's He's a smooth talker. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Ultimately, John manages to keep the cops from getting all the hostages killed. He takes out all the bad guys and he saves Holly from Alan Rickman uh, by knocking him off of Nakatomi Plaza in the most hilarious oh no film take ever done. Yay. Um, Which we have been told by reliable sources was done in one shot because Alan Rickman was afraid of heights. Yeah. And the stuntman told him he had to do it once and told him he would count to three and drop him and actually Onto like a big like cushy cushion. exactly. And the stuntman told him he would count to three and then only counted to two. So it's a very genuine look of oh no. Of like its face, yeah, right. <laughs> like and kind betrayal. of betrayal, yeah. Like it's real bad, um, but it's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, John and Holly ride off in their limo to go have Christmas oh, Eve together. Yeah, and like the guy who drives the limo oh, is Argyle? like, yeah, we'll talk this, about Argyle. Yeah, but oh, like yeah. he's the best. He's great. He's secret hero of the movie. Secret MVP. Yeah. Um, so the characters, we have John McClane played by Bruce Willis. He's a guy who really does not want to be doing what he's doing from moment one to the very end of the film, but he is very good at it. Yeah. Um, Hans Gruber played by Alan Rickman. He's a sly manipulator who knows a lot about international finance and also business suits. Um, Holly Gennaro McLean, uh, played by Bonnie Bedelia, resourceful and brave, if pretty underutilized by the movie. Um, you know, she's like the leader of the hostages, yeah. and she does and, a good and job. And she, they at least present her as competent yeah. and and like brave in the face of a real like bad situation. Yeah, and very no nonsense. Yeah, um, she has great eighties hair. She does. Mm-hmm. Um, Al Powell, played by Reginald Val Johnson, he's a cop dealing with the ramifications of having shot a kid, as yeah. he says in one of the scenes. I feel um, like that line reminds me a lot of um snowpiercer like i i know the baby tastes best <laughs> yeah i shot a kid um it's great it's a great line reading um but yeah he's dealing with his own hesitancies about service but by the end of the movie he shoots a bad guy so yeah. everything's fixed um Dwayne Robinson, played by Paul Gleason. Uh, he is the chief of police. The actor is the principal from The Breakfast Club, who is giving essentially the exact same performance yeah. that he does in The Breakfast Club. Um, there is Argyle, played by Devereaux so White. Good. He's John's limo driver. Um, he winds up getting stuck in the parking garage and ultimately becoming a hero in his own small way yeah. by thwarting one part of the robbery. 
Uh, there's Richard Thornburg, played by William Atherton. He's a sleazeball reporter who inadvertently gets John's family involved in the whole mess by trying to cover the story. Um, he also shows oh, up in yeah. one of the sequels. Um, so yeah, he's like a, he gets punched by John McClane at the end. It's very satisfying. Um, there's Harry Ellis, played by Hart Bachner. He's just the Mr. 80s guy character from Futurama, if you've ever seen that episode. He is the 80s-est, 80s-est guy yeah. to ever 80s. Um, there's like multiple shots of him doing cocaine because... Because he's a total sleaze. Uh, he messes everything up by trying to like be the guy in control who's going to negotiate with Hans Gruber, and as a result, winds up being the only hostage fatality in the entire film. And all the other hostages were like, "Oh no, this was all of us." <laughs> no, please stop! Don't go. This was definitely all of us. <laughs> uh, there's Joseph Takagi, played by James Shigeta, the head of Nakatomi Corporation, who maybe should have invested more in security and less in models of bridges for mm-hmm. his office. And then there's all the terrorists. They're mostly all big, strapping German guys um, wearing sweatshirts and other athletic wear. Yeah, they, it, it really does look very funny in terms of, like, thug style. Yeah, they're, like, they're both, like really big and imposing oh, yeah. and very non-threatening looking. Yeah, cuz like they're they're all like 9 feet tall and made of muscle, yeah. but they also look like they were like taken from the background of like an ABBA music video yeah, somehow. Yeah, they're all wearing like aviator glasses and it's like and a like very kind nerdy of pastel shades. Yeah. Um anyway, they all die. Um uh, but yeah, they have what two of them are brothers, and so there's a little drama there when one of the brothers gets killed and the other one gets obsessed with killing John McCain, John McClain, and blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> John McCain, oh god, oh god, Aww. watch out, John. Seriously, um, but hey, some themes and fun stuff for the movie. Um, what this movie really did. Uh, incredibly well was capture the time period that it came out of and sort of subvert a lot of it. Um, it really redefined what an action hero was. Um, after an entire 1980s worth of Schwarzenegger's, Stallone's, and other sort of unstoppable, roided-up killing machines, Die Hard put a guy who, to that point, had been known mainly as a comedic actor on oh, Moonlighting. Um, oh, that's right! Yeah, that was like his whole thing. He was I like... For- I thought this was his breakout role, but I no. forgot about Moonlighting. Yeah, it was like, oh, good old funny Bruce Willis. Will they, won't they? Um, and it just dropped this comedic character actor into a life or death situation where the character suffers every single moment of the film. Um, John gets beat up, shot, cut by falling glass, um, has to walk across the glass. Um, He gets caught in multiple explosions and, you know, it's an action movie, so he survives more than most people would. But the wear and tear show through the whole film. Oh yeah, and it looks like he is real not having fun. And like you said, he's just like, all he wants is for other people to come and do their job. Yeah, he's miserable. He's like, I'm, first of all, I'm on vacation. I shouldn't even be doing this job. I'm not in this precinct. I shouldn't be doing this job. Yeah. And I don't want to be doing this job. Right. I just want to be fighting with my wife for Christmas. Um, at the same time as all of that, uh, his desperation and resourcefulness make him much more relatable to the audience uh, and mean that we root for him even when he's being a little bit of an obstinate jerk. And speaking of John being an obstinate jerk, um, this movie weirdly has a lot to say about performative masculinity. Uh, John needs to let go of the notions uh, that Holly's success make him less of a man, uh, and he needs to learn to apologize to her, which he does over the course of the movie. Um, At the same time, Hans Gruber plays up the machismo of the lone wolf terrorist, um, but does it all as a ploy to cover his baseline greed, the fact that he's just sort of this common bank robber. Um, And Harry gets shot because he's an asshole, and assholes get shot in these kinds of situations. Yeah, and he's he's, he's trying to bro it up. Yeah, he's trying to yeah and and finds out that he is he is way not any kind of alpha male because that is 
something that doesn't even exist. Exactly. He's completely out of his depth. Um, this is, I mean, this is not a particularly enlightened film. There's still the requisite 1980s gratuitous moments of female nudity. And there are two, like two total named female characters in the whole film. Although they do technically pass the Bechdel test. Really? Yeah. Because Holly thanks her assistant for staying late to help finish things. And her assistant tells her how good she's doing. Oh, good job, guys. Like, that's I, I was thinking about the, the pregnant lady and I was like, that's, I think that's there's... her assistant. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think they could, because I think otherwise they were largely talking about like the you know the terrorists oh, and yeah, John. Sure. So I was like, that which doesn't... does make sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But no, there's a brief scene of them at the party um, before Harry storms in and is a jerk to them, uh, where it's two named female characters having a conversation Good about job, something guys. about the little man, which also shows why the Bechdel test shouldn't be the be all and end all. No, it's the very critique. much the baseline. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, the, so the movie is not like a pamphlet of any kind or a manifesto, but it has slightly more on its mind than your average action film. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, I think we had a conversation after we watched it about, like, there's so much in this movie that questions toxic masculinity and, Mm -hmm. like, this 1980s idea of, like, shoot-em-ups. Yeah. But the visual framing of the movie does not underscore that message. And exactly. it is so focused on how awesome Bruce Willis looks while he's fighting the bad guys. Yeah. Um. So that message gets lost that like the literal message gets lost in the visual message. Absolutely. Yeah. They're still delivering a lot of escapist action, even though they're trying the, the plot line and the characters are sort of anti-escapism. Yeah. It's like, I mean the, the um undershirt that he's wearing, like the tank top is both, Super vulnerable and also shows off Bruce Willis's muscles. Yeah, like, right. It's the perfect the perfect metaphor for the paradox of this film. Wink. Hey, um, but most importantly, um, this movie does a great job of manipulating the stakes throughout by uh, via information gathering. Um, a, a big deal is made throughout the movie of who knows what, when, and how. Um, yeah. How many terrorists there are, where they are, where John is, and it's essential to each character's survival to stay as up on the information as possible. And that's only heightened and complicated by the fact that everyone is on the same radio ch- channel through the entire movie so even people who are working together wind up having to be careful about what they say because they know that the bad or good guys are listening in which Um, it feels so 80s to me like if that movie were set today people would have cell phones and that would not be an issue they would be texting each other yeah there would be no drama to it whatsoever yeah um but you know maybe they have cell phone dampeners or something yeah well but i mean if you just walk in like bruce willis isn't gonna have a dampener that's gonna connect to these so like I think like you were saying, this is just so 80s. It's It's like this movie could not happen at any other time. It is so perfectly of its time. And it really developed a template that would define the next decade or so of action cinema. Um, It's just super fun. And it does feel a little more special when watched at Christmas time. True. Um, But there are other more Christmassy movies in the world. Oh, totally. Um, So yeah, we we got two great movies to talk about. Yeah. Um, How do these cross over thematically? Um, I think... For me, the big theme that comes up is, um, like, family troubles around the holidays, frankly. Uh. You know, like, the Callahans are dealing with a family medical issue. Like, we all know how those go. Yeah, the terrorists have a dead brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, And, I mean, John and his wife, um, Mm -hmm. what's her name? Holly. Holly. Yeah. They're... Because it's Christmas. Yeah, right. No, but they're fighting because it's like, we've got, you know, you're here to see the kids for Christmas. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with this big relationship thing. It's like anybody who's had, like parents who are like divorcing or divorced like that drama yeah um and just like having to to all eventually come together absolutely beat the terrorists be the terrorists you want to see in the world yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's about probably about as far as the thematic connections go um 
Because, yeah, yeah, I think, you know. There's life not, in the big city. Life in the big city. What it means to be alone. Yeah. I think I think John McClane and Sandra Bullock's character both feel deeply alone for much of their films. Totally. And um, I wonder if Hans Gruber feels a little alone. And that's really why he wants so much money. That's possible. He was kicked out of his terrorist cell for oh. being too extreme and greedy. Too greedy. Oh. Yeah. He doesn't even have any terrorist friends. No. He has to recruit from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> the worst insult. It's true. Well, that's because they're all wearing their like... 1980s workout clothes it's true yeah he bought them on sale (laughs) he got them for discount um so yeah uh how about um how do these cross over physically how does this happen um so i i feel like at the very least we're we're living in the real world with Uh these crossovers so that's exciting um i i'm gonna maybe reset the um the diehard world a little so instead of being at um you know, this fancy building. Mm-hmm. Let's say um, the uh, Nakatomi company. Uh-huh. Um, let's say that uh, Nakatomi is actually the head of a major hospital ah. in Chicago. You know and what you're doing is, that I really love? What? Is you're doing exactly what movies for the next five years after Die Hard did, which is make a movie that is, it's Die Hard on a blank. It's, yep. It's, it's, it's Die, die hard, hard in a hospital. hospital. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like their, you know, their um, senior leader Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Real fancy. Um yep. Everybody and, knows how crazy hospital Christmas parties get. Oh, yeah, right? Things get bananas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and like they, you know, they've been doing upgrades. They, everything mm-hmm. is computerized now. Sure. Um, nurses are on strike because they lost their job because of these damn computers. Oh, man. Yeah. But, but they're going to, yeah, this is going to come back to bite them because the nurses are out are of the building. Out, out of the building. And nurses are and, formidable fighters. Yeah. So they exactly. would have been a great defense force. Totally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think. Um, uh, Hans Gruber storms yeah. the the hospital, the hospital while um, Lucy is in the hospital with the Callahans, yeah. having just lied to them about oh, her yeah. fiance. <laughs> so and this then, is really going to heighten the stakes. Yeah, exactly. Then all of a sudden, Lucy's like, "Well, obviously, I can't tell them now. No, not on, not now." <laughs> um, yeah, so. I guess, so how does John McClane wind up? I mean, is he there he's visiting? There. Yeah, is... so I think same kind of setup. He's there to see his wife, except, mm-hmm. and, you know, instead of moving to L.A., she had moved to Chicago. Yep. Got Her assistant's new... pregnant, so maybe she's going to deliver the baby in the hospital yeah. instead of in Nakatomi Plaza. Well, that's much better, yeah, actually. It's true. Works Trained out really well. <laughs> but I think, like, she works at the hospital. Like, she's okay. one of the, she's, like, the CFO mm-hmm. of the hospital. So she has a real big job. For sure. Um. So, again, like, John comes to see her. Mm-hmm. Um. And terrorism happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is the secret that Hans Gruber is trying to steal? Like, what is this this hospital? Like, I think, because he's probably going to say that, like, he's doing it symbolically because, yeah. like, you know. Maybe healthcare. Like, yeah. Scandals. Affordable healthcare is bad. Or yeah. they bomb or, hospitals in his hometown or yeah. something. But he's actually there because. He's stealing everybody's uh, medical records to sell them. On the early on, on the dark web, yeah, <laughs> on the early webs, the early webs, the only, gonna, the darkest web there was. <laughs> he, well, that is true. He's gonna he's gonna go into AOL chat rooms and just <laughs> sell information. His away message is just gonna be people's social security <laughs> yeah. numbers, and so he's gonna be 
in chat rooms selling people's social security numbers to 13-year-olds who are pretending to be like 30-year-olds. The international terrorists yeah. and arms dealers. Yes, absolutely. Totally. <laughs> so <laughs> things are not going well for Hans Gruber. No, that's true. He did not think this plan all the way through. No. Um, but yeah, and you know, I'm sure more people paid in cash at hospitals back in the 80s than they do now. So there's got to be some money in there somewhere. True. Well, I mean, I would think, yeah, I think medical records are actually real confidential things that oh, people yeah. buy. Yeah, and then there's money, too. It's yeah, a there's, bonus. Yeah. He's, like, knocking over vending machines as well. As- <laughs> all of the, the, the real beefy German guys yeah, just are, like, shit. pushing over the vending good machines. Job. Yeah, exactly. They're so good at it. They you are. They do it with, like, one hand. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think the stakes are clear. Yeah. Um, so how do how do John and and um, Lucy meet? Oh man. Well, okay. So I think you know same situation. John winds up by himself, like maybe and again a wing that's under construction yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and so he flees there. Maybe Lucy's gone there to try to get her story straight and like think like she yeah needs to she's escape like oh I just need a minute. Yeah. And so she's trying to think, and then that they both run into each other during the siege yeah. of Nakatomi Hospital. Um, so is John enlisting her in the fight? Like Maybe I mean Lucy did just say the guy. Oh well here's the thing. So so Lucy mm-hmm. works for the L. Yeah. Maybe uh we're gonna take a little bit of a page out of Ninja Turtles 2 Secret uh-huh. Abuse here. But yep. maybe she is aware of like some uh some disused connection. subway tunnels yeah. below the building and so they're gonna try to get the hot the hostages the people, all out yeah. through the basement of oh, the Oh totally. Of the or or you know, John is saying we need to get the police through there. Yeah, exactly. And so she's saying like we gotta get them out and he's like, No, we gotta get people in and so they have wacky misunderstandings. Uh, She's like, I'm your fiance now. He's like, wait, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, they're they're using their collective smarts yeah. to outsmart Hans Gruber. Exactly. Um, and yeah, maybe Lucy uses her con artist skills to go undercover. A right? Bit. Oh yeah. And like, frankly, Lucy is, she's working for the CTA. She's seen some stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you, I don't think you're working the booth at the CTA without dealing with some real tough personalities. Oh, for sure. So, um. I think Lucy might end up being the um, the front the like front person for the hostages. Yeah, maybe she um, and Holly like team up. Yeah, or, yeah, and she's like maybe she's relaying news about John to Holly. Yeah, and so you know there's a little more awareness there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that like they can kind of work together. So this segues into some games. Yeah. I think best buddies Holly and Lucy. Oh yeah, totally. Women who are just. Trying to do what's Doing right it for themselves. Yeah, um, maybe maybe Lucy actually gets a real good job at the hospital. Oh yeah, you know, She's taking tokens at the hospital. Yeah, oh, <laughs> maybe like she, you know, gets to go to. Maybe she goes back to school. Maybe she goes back to school. Yeah, yeah. maybe she was going to be a nurse. That's true, but then all the didn't all the nurses get fired? <laughs> no, because see, because they like use the computer program to like take to take over the hospital. Oh. So then the hospital was like, we need humans. We need humans back. All the humans. Every, Every human. human. So bring the nurses back. Burn these robots. Yeah, right. They know what they did. <laughs> Just throw them all into the Great Lakes. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I think best buddies, Holly and Lucy, for sure. Um, how about, uh, I mean, kiss your faces. Are there any unorthodox kiss your face meetups? Um, so Peter Gallagher is single. Uh, Let's yeah. say he wakes up from his coma. Yeah. Um, maybe he meets um, 
the the pregnant uh, secretary. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know if she was with somebody. I was sort of thinking that maybe Hans Gruber falls in love with him while he's sleeping. <gasps> That's better. <laughs> That's so much better. <laughs> because he looks, he gets one look at those eyebrows, and like apparently, and I'm flummoxed by this. Apparently, Peter Gallagher is a love at first sight worthy person. <laughs> he's a nice looking guy. Yeah. I would say Peter Gallagher has more first sight impressiveness than Bill Pullman. See, I think this is where you and I disagree. <laughs> you're, I I'm, a, I'm a Pullman man myself. You're a Pullman. <laughs> you're, you've got the Pullman car. Exactly. <laughs> choo, choo, choo. choo choo Pullman car Hiawatha coming for you. Yeah. Uh, it's the name of a Thornton Wilder play. Oh, Thornton Wilder. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, I, I think that like Alan Rickman is like surveying all the hostages, and suddenly, who is who is that man with the striking eyebrows? Oh my goodness! And you know, maybe, and, but you know, um, Hans Gruber, he loves money. He loves money. So and Peter he, Gallagher, so does Peter Gallagher. he's got a lot of money. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's the thing. Maybe Hans Gruber again. He's very lonely. Yeah. He was just looking for someone to share his high wealth lifestyle. And with. Peter Gallagher hadn't settled down yet either. No. You know, and he, he always felt see... like there was something missing in his life. Yeah, and and he um he was with Ashley Bartlett. Pear or something. Yes. I'm sure her last name was Pear. <laughs> yeah, right. His real mean ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it just, yeah, it never really seemed like he was like really into her. Yeah. So I think he was probably waiting around for for an Alan Rickman. For an Alan Rickman type. Um, so yeah, now I, now I kind of want them to escape. No, I together. think this is going to be one of those where we we make it a happy ending. We don't carry through to the to the conclusion. Alan Rickman does not get thrown out a window. <laughs> or if he does, Peter Gallagher's window. Catches him. Oh, that works too. <laughs> and then they both die. And then they both fall. But they fall together and it's beautiful. There we go. No, uh, we're not going to kill them. They're so cute. <laughs> this is the problem when we get totally mismatched movies. It's true. Um, I just want to make everybody happy. Yeah. Uh, any battle domes that we don't see coming? Um, I mean, Bill Pullman beats up Harry for sure. The cokehead, Mr. 1980s guy. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. He's like, I make my own furniture. Pow, pow, pow. Bam. Out of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I don't know why, but I really want to have Mary, the little sister, fight somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Reginald Val Johnson? No, I don't want him to fight. Maybe one of the, one of the terrorists. One of the terrorists, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if she wins or not. <laughs> I think she wins, like, randomly. Like, there's no way she should win. She knocks over a vending machine on him, because then it's poetic justice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, now you can take all the change you want. Oh. Yeah. And then that's over. Um, And then I think she and Argyle become friends. Oh, yeah. Because Argyle's acting pretty hard in Die Hard, too. Oh, totally. But but really doing a good job at it. Yeah, just delightfully. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really works. I think Mr. Nakatomi... uh, or I'm sorry, not Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Takagi um, becomes good friends with the parents. I'm sure. I think he oh, and yeah. Peter Boyle get a drink. Yeah, and maybe um, Mr. Takagi um, again, like maybe learns that it's like, oh, you know, there are more important things than building real big bridges in your building. Maybe and I should kill all these robots. Yeah, maybe I should kill all the robots and go into the antiques business because that's safer. That's exactly. It's way safer. Oh, as because an the, um, uh, Peter Boyle. And he, he, both of his sons leave the family business. Oh, yeah. So maybe he and um, Takagi, Takagi go, into business together. go into business together. Yeah, or at least Takagi invests in his business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, works with his hands. Oh, he likes a- building models. Yeah. Or at least commissioning models. Well, then he commissions Bill Pullman to make him there real adorable furniture models. Tiny little furniture yeah. models. Dollhouse Doll- furniture. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like this crossover. Um, I do want to... See, um, Reginald Val Johnson, yeah, best friends with, um, 
uh what's his name the friend the yeah the cta manager oh yeah and they're just like what the hell is going on with what these is people? what is with white people <laughs> white people this is a problem yeah right yeah but like honestly i feel like so if we're recasting this in chicago like reginald bell johnson um He's a he's a Chicago cop. Yeah, like and then he goes fa- home to his house on family matters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he, yeah, his best friend is the manager at the CTA. Yeah, that that sounds real. It's totally legit. Maybe that becomes the line me. of communication, and that's like they're the connecting force of oh, Lucy and nice. John McClane. Yeah, so they're both coordinating on the ground. Good job, guys. Yeah. Um, and then they get in through the tunnels and they storm the building and they get the hostages out and everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Woo. We did it. We did it. We 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 made them kiss and stuff. We crossed it all over. Yeah. Um, but now, if people want more while you were sleeping style goodness, where should they go, Annie? Um, so for more Sandra Bullock romantic comedy goodness, try Miss Congeniality. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a Sandra Bullock, um, Sandra Bullock movie with more of a sloppy Sandra, but she's um, also way hardcore and funny. And this Never movie's got... Never sloppy Sandra. <laughs> Well, the movie, it's like a makeover thing. Yeah. She has even worse bangs than in While You Were Sleeping. Or like no bangs yeah. or something. Um, but the, the movie's got a lot of charm. And again, like it's Sandra Bullock. She's really working it. <laughs> um, for more 90s-ish high concept romantic comedies, try You've Got Mail, which is about the cruel world of 1990s mega bookstores and how they almost destroyed the indie book scene. Um, but actually, it's a take on Chop Around the Corner slash She Loves Me, in which two people, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, um, who correspond via email, don't know that they're professional enemies in real life. And are adorable. And are adorable. Um, but the indie bookstore here is actually the main star. It's mm-hmm perfection <laughs> um their sleep is in seattle with also features tom hicks and meg ryan as a guy who calls into a talk radio show to talk about his dead wife and trying to move on with his life and a woman who falls in love with slash stalks him definitely stalks definitely like i remember when that came out that was such a big romantic movie like i my i used to watch it a lot like yeah. we had it on vhs and now i like i remember seeing it recently and being like there, there's no there's nothing romantic here no also, like they didn't even meet like Tom Hanks has no idea this movie is going on. No. Also uh has Bill Pullman in it. Yeah, and Bill as Pullman a character named Walter who dodges a bullet. It's Walter and Annie. Yeah, oh that's right. Yeah. Man, he gets out of there just He in really time. does. I would love to see like the behind like, you know, like the after credits movie sequence in which he's at a bar and he's like, Man, I was I got out of real a real bad relationship. Like it was I hard at first, but this. I am so glad to not be in that crazy yeah. lady's life. Boy, do I have a story for you. Exactly. Um, there is my best friend's wedding, which is actually like part romantic comedy and part send up of romantic comedies, um, that does really well on both counts yeah. in a surprising way. Uh, there's never been kissed about a female reporter who goes back to high school um, to get an undercover look at teen life, except she was a total nerd at a teen, as a teen, so she has no idea how to be popular. <laughs> um, there's the wedding singer about a wedding singer who falls in love with one of the brides whose wedding he's going to play. It does have a rapping granny in it, though, so you got to watch out for that. That is true. So which is worse, like like whack? Like wacky granny or like um, baby reaction, baby reaction shot. shot. Baby reaction <laughs> shot is worse than everything in the world. Wow. Ever. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Okay. Well, it's now we know. The worst thing you can do in a movie is have it's, a baby reaction shot. It's like the shot. anti-Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, I hate it so much. So um, Walt will not be watching. No, you can because it's a granny. Not yeah, baby. I can tolerate rapping granny. Okay. Um, there's It Could Happen to You about a cop who gives a waitress half a lottery ticket as a tip and they end up winning the jackpot. 
Uh, there is one fine day about two single parents trying to make it through one really busy day in New York City. I don't think I even know that one. Really? Oh, that's um, Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney. Ah. And they're just, it's like, you're both charming. I love you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's Return to Me about a man who loses his wife in a car accident and the woman who receives the wife's heart as an organ donation. Ooh. Um, it's like it's so from cheesy. The grave. Yeah, right. It's so cheesy and adorable, and I love it, even though I feel like I shouldn't. <laughs> um, and on the YA book side, uh, some high concept rom coms with big hearts. There's uh, Jenny Han's To All the Boys I've Loved Before series, in which a teen girl's like diary esque letters to all the boys she's crushed on are accidentally mailed oh, out. No. Yeah, like so embarrassing. I would die of awkwardness <laughs> reading that. Book. I love that you weren't like fake gasp but it's no. like actual Ooh. panic oh that one hits me where i live yeah right um there's anna and the french kiss by stephanie perkins about two teens who meet at an international school in paris and um nick and Nora's infinite playlist by rachel cohen and david levithan about two teens who meet during one wild music filled night in new york city um and the movie is also super yeah. adorable super fun movie yeah um, so yeah, how about some diehard recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like as with a lot of really strong genre genre movies, um, most of my recommendations are movies just in that genre. Like it's yeah. hard. It doesn't bridge the gap quite as much. Um, but there's a few little surprises in here. Um, Die Hard 2 and Die Hard with a Vengeance, um, then stop. Don't, don't go wow. any further. Yeah, even, even Vengeance is kind of pushing it. But you know, the sequels are admittedly diminishing returns but still fun like it's a good formula and there's a reason that it got replicated so much um there is speed the keanu reeves sandra bullock movie yeah i feel like speed is actually the crossover yeah i think so yeah yeah and it became the next blank on a blank movie of the 1990s yeah like everything was trying to replicate there's a bomb on a blank yeah exactly um and there's the taking of pelham 123 the 1974 film i have actually not seen it but i really 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 want to um it is about a heist on a subway train um there's dashiell hammett's book red harvest um lots of information and playing against sides it's like the original um sort of mysterious loner in this case a detective comes to a town with two warring factions in it and plays them against one another mm. um it's in the inspiration of yojimbo which then became the inspiration for a fistful of dollars oh weird yeah it's really it's a it's a book that has even almost even more than the maltese falcon by hammett um has a really deep cultural impact and it's just a super fun clockwork bit of detective fiction um there's looper for a sort of really fun and high concept look at old bruce willis and his action persona um directed by ryan johnson of the last jedi which which we thought was awesome yeah absolutely and everybody should go see because it's great um but looper is amazing and my best friend yeah but looper is a wonderful film about time traveling assassins with joseph gordon levin levitt and bruce willis and emily blunt so like what's not to love um there's uh for more just like pure fun adrenaline action that uh delivers on its promise there's movies like the raid redemption and john wick i think both are just super simplified um sort of clear distilled action in a way that Die Hard felt like it was in the in the late 80s mm-hmm. when it came out um, there's The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and, Harrison, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones um, another fun exciting procedurally minded showcase for its two lead actors and just like like two lead actors who really make the movie yeah absolutely it has some of the best protagonist antagonist interplay since Die Hard in an action movie um, it's just super fun um, and it is as interested in the way that Harrison Ford's character 
and Tommy Lee Jones's character maneuver through the situation. That's really fun. Um, and then there's just some super fun 90s action movies like Super Cop with Jackie Chan. There's Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. There's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which I will never not want to watch. Um, and then there's Hot Fuzz. Which for, is the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, another very different and much sillier and brilliant deconstruction of all of those movies that I just named um, and more. Uh, Hot Fuzz is amazing. Um, there's a great YouTube series called movies with mikey where he breaks down why hot fuzz is perfect in about 20 minutes and he's correct yeah and he's absolutely i don't even have to see that to know he's correct no it's brilliant i'll show it to you um and then the last thing i will say is if you're interested in die hard as a piece of cultural history as far as action movies um i cannot highly enough recommend uh the a series of columns on the av club by tom bryan called a history of violence um it's a weekly column he's just wrapping it up now i believe where he starts in 19 1968 with the release of Bullet, which is sort of the first action movie, and then every week writes chronologically about the most important action movies of each year. Um, from 1968 up until now. So uh, Die Hard is on there for the 1988 entry. And you and he not only talks about what he feels is the most important one of every year, but also all of the runners up. And it's just uh-huh. a really deep and fascinating look at the way that this weird genre of cinema has evolved over the years. And it touches on all the high points, um, including Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, um, oh, I know. God, if you ask me... Like, which movie is the best of all time? Now I don't know. Is it Mad Max Fury Road or is it Hot Fuzz? Oh, man. Well, his, I mean, Tom Ryan's whole take is Mad Max Fury Road is currently the best action movie ever Oh, made, well, that is true. Which is absolutely yeah. true. Um, but yeah, but he hits on all of the classics. And it's just a really fun way to not only read more in-depth looks at action movies you may have grown up loving or may love already, but also discover some new and really cool ones, especially from all over the world. He looks at world cinema, not just American cinema. Nice. So uh, yeah, that is my overall overarching recommendation for everything Die Hard related. Um, But I think we did a good job, Annie. I think so. We've rung in this holiday season appropriately. Yeah. You know, and and talked about some real holiday themes. Yeah. Punches. Yeah. Explosions. Kisses. Lies. Lies. Deception. Yeah. Subway tokens. Yeah. All the holiday goodness. Everything that really (laughs) just tells you that it's the holidays. Yeah. Well, if people want to continue spreading the holiday cheer, Annie, uh, where should they find more information about us? They can find all of our show content, including these recommendations and show notes at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. You can email us your favorite parts of the holidays, as long as they are related to Die Hard and While You Were Sleeping or we'll say and or um, (laughs) at crossover appeal podcast at gmail.com you can tell us about your other favorite holiday movies that are not really holiday movies non-conventional holiday yeah at um, crossover appeal podcast at facebook you can tweet at us about hey did you know that die hard is a christmas movie winky face winky face um, by going to twitter and our handle at crossover appeal you can you can tell us whether you hate um Wacky grandmas or baby reaction shots. Oh, yeah, that should more. be a good poll. Yeah. yeah. And also tell us if, if what's the deal with Peter Gallagher? Just like, <laughs> just like I'm still baffled what's by him. What's the deal with Peter Gallagher? I just, I, just, I don't at, know. Maybe you need to watch The O.C. He's actually the real star of The O.C. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Tweet at us with your Peter Gallagher <laughs> gifts and I'll see if I can't crack this code. Yeah. Well, maybe it's would you are you a are you a Gallagher or are you a Pullman? Oh man, that's a real question. That's true. Maybe that'll be another poll as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to stick around and make sure that you're present with us when we crack this code, <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> Annie, how do they make sure that they're able to listen to the most recent episodes? So you can subscribe on iTunes. Um, and then also you, you should, while you're there, maybe rate and review our podcast. It's the greatest Candle Nights gift of all. Yeah. And like... Guys, it takes just like a minute. It'd be yeah. real great if you did that. Yeah, and we'll, we will shout you out. Absolutely. And we'll also love you forever because it's the best way to get the word out about this podcast to all of your friends and ours. Yeah. Our new, our friends we haven't even met yet. Absolutely. Um, a stranger sister friend you haven't met? Um. Y- yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's from um, the... The thing I just listened to, the the Rockport Express. Yeah, the Rockport Limited. Yeah. Um, I think it's also a song lyric from something. Oh, But okay. most importantly, it's from the, the, the Adventure Zone. Yeah, I was like, why do I know that? And I was like, <laughs> I just listened to this. I believe it's a Simpsons song. Oh, okay. Um, but we'll, we'll clarify that later. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to go um, blow some stuff up and lie to some families. Because it's the holidays. Absolutely. Uh, We'll see you all back here in two weeks. Have a wonderful holiday season and a great new year. Uh, But for now, this has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. I'm Annie Carty. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. 